What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. I want to start with Donald Trump's hate and lies. There's just this stuff that's just pouring out of him. He gave this speech that clearly was written by Stephen Miller. It's so full of white supremacist BS and lies. He was talking about people who are coming into our country seeking asylum and saying essentially that they come in, they say that they'll show up for their asylum hearing, and then they vanish. Here's exactly what he said. This is, by the way, from the New York Times. They fact-checked him on this. He said, we're not letting them into our country, and then they never show up. Almost it's like a level of 3%. They never show up for the trial. So by the time the trial comes, they're gone. Nobody knows where they are. This is what Trump said. This is what the New York Times says. Of the asylum seekers who participated in a pilot program tested as an alternative to detention, in other words, they were released, 99% attended immigration and custom enforcement check-ins and appointments, and 100% turned up for court hearings. This was a 100% lie from Donald Trump. Meanwhile, there's another I'm going to share with you in just a minute, but I want to play this little 15-second ad for you. I got an email this morning from a fellow who is affiliated with the group that put this together. The Immigrant Film Company, ImmigrantFilm.org, is the website. And I strongly encourage you to check this out. These are really intense 15, 30, and 60-second spots. And, I mean, really intense. And, in fact, if you're not ready for the intensity, let me just give you a trigger warning. You're going to hear a little girl screaming for about 8 or 10 seconds here. And it'll feel like longer than that. And the picture is this little Hispanic girl standing next to an ICE officer. And he's just standing there watching her. Well, here's the ad. Is this who we are? Vote November 6th. I mean, these are just, I'm... I'm in, I'm in tears. I'm sorry. These are just really powerful ads. Um, there's another one. It's not, it's not as um, auditorily intense, but it's also very, very powerful. I mean, this is some really, really great filmmaking. And these are just little, you know, 15, 30, and 60-second YouTube videos. 
And they're at the website immigrantfilm.org. And you can, you know, obviously it's on YouTube. You can share it with your friends. You can post. I posted two of them to Twitter this morning. If you look at my Twitter feed at Tom underscore Hartman, you'll see them. And share them with your friends. I mean, you don't have to share my tweet. You can just go to immigrantfilm.com and take them right from there. Uh, I don't know who the people are who put these things together, but um, they did a really, really great job. So back to Trump's lies. He said, we can't get any Democrat votes. He's using Joe McCarthy. Remember Joe McCarthy said back in the 50s, he said, don't ever say Democratic Party. It sounds too friendly. Say Democrat Party and emphasize the rat. Well, of course, the Republicans are doing that. I mean, they've gone full Joe McCarthy. And so Trump now is, he used to refer to the Democratic Party. He knows what it's called. He used to contribute to it. He used to be a Democratic voter. You know, he was registered as a Democrat. So now he says, we can't get any Democrat votes to change them. It's only the Republicans that are in unison. They want to change them. They want to make strong borders. In other words, the Republicans want to make strong borders. The Democrats don't. Actually, that's a complete lie. Both Democrats and Republicans passed a bipartisan bill in the United States Senate that it was actually comprehensive immigration reform. It included DACA, it included a path to citizenship for a very narrow group of people. It strengthened our borders, it strengthened our workplace. It was like, hey, let's start putting you know, rich white employers in jail instead of you know, brown immigrants who are desperate for work. I mean, it was very, very straightforward, and it passed the Senate, and it would pass the House, except Paul Ryan refuses to allow a vote on it. The bill that Donald Trump and Stephen Miller put forward in the Senate, 41 Republicans voted against because it was crazy. It was just crazy talk. It was basically only white people are allowed into the United States. Here's another one of the ads. This one starts, you hear this woman, if you're just listening, you will just hear this woman. She's on a rural road in Mexico, just at the edge of the Rio Grande River, all alone. And she's trudging along on this empty dirt road in the southern border, carrying a two or three year old child in her arms. And then maybe six or seven seconds into it, she flashes back to her husband being murdered in, uh, God, I'm gonna start crying again in Guatemala or Honduras or wherever it was. And then, uh, and then you'll hear the announcer. Here it is. She's walking along the road here. And that's her flashback. Fleeing danger is not a choice. Saving your family is not a choice. And then they show her being torn from her child. Protecting your children is not a choice. Voting is a choice. Vote. November 6th. Yeah. So that's like, I'm having a hard time talking, so I'll let you talk. Don in Winsboro, South Carolina. Hey, Don, what's on your mind? Uh, Yeah. Hey, Tom. Good to talk to you again. This is a different subject. Uh, We had in the news this last week, there was a prisoner called Whitey Bulger was moved from one prison to another. He was transferred. Yeah. 
Supposedly and, he and was it, transferred because he was a disciplinary problem. Yeah, they set and him up to be opinion, murdered. It was not just a transfer. It was like a transfer execution yeah. because our federal prison systems, I thought, was a little better than the state and private corrupt systems. But when you can't believe in your country protecting people locked in the prison cages from death and danger, and he had a terrible, terrible beat-to-death death. And I just wanted to bring up and have you just say a word or two about our prison system and the way if we it has to be addressed by our, our government. And uh, it's got to be, hey, there's jobs to be had. There's people to be paid to actually take care of these people that we lock up. Yeah, I agree. Whitey Bulger was a bad guy. He was a murderer. And he was an also uh, apparently for more than half his life an FBI informant, which is in all probability why he was beaten to death to the point where his face was unrecognizable in the prison that he was transferred to. And you're absolutely right, Don. Our prison system and our police systems in large part grew out of the slave patrols in the South in the 17, 18, and early 1900s, very early 1800s. And the brutality is just breathtaking. The rest of the world looks at us and just is astonished. And Don, thanks for the call. This is the Tom Hartman Program. In fact, if you have not seen Michael Moore's movie, Where to Invade Next, it has a whole segment on our prisons that's just breathtaking, just amazing. James in Spokane. Hey, James, what's on your mind? I just wanted to speak firstly about Donald Trump. I mentioned to you in the past his initials are DJ, and I don't think you understood Tom at the time. Um, in the music industry, DJ is a title for rather flamboyant and meaningless person. And so I thought being his, his initials are DJ, that it would be appropriate to call him DJ Trump. Yeah. You know, one of my first jobs was as a DJ, so I, I'm not, not offended DJ by Trump. what you said, but I, I, I'm not convinced that it's a term of derision. <laughs> How about Forrest Trump? Forrest Trump. I like that. And I'm a fan of Corporal Bone Spurs. I mean, you know, which I think Tammy Baldwin came up with. Or cadet bone spurs. It was cadet. cadet. I keep giving him a raise in rank. <laughs> but, yeah, How that's can a good I change the subject, talk about culture of violence we have? Yeah. Okay, first instance of physical assault I experienced and don't recall was one all too common in our overtaxed and underprovided society. I've seen it repeated all too often in the past. We assume it still occurs. An infant or small tot shaken and or struck because of crying inconsolably in its frustration, confusion, and or fear. Right. Assaulted by a mother so frustrated and in fear because society will not provide for either one of them. Much guidance for the child later in the form of coercion and threats. I would add to that, by the way, up until the 1950s, many child-rearing manuals suggested that children should be beaten. And that was part of the child-rearing programs that Hitler propagated across Germany in the 1930s. Spare but, the rod and spoil the child. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, we whip our animals. We whip our children, thereby continuing the cycle of violence. We must do better. If we will save the children, they may save us and or the world. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, James. Good points all. There are a lot of other things that are also going on in the world, right? I mean, this is stuff we all need to know. A couple of days ago in Nigeria, there was a protest, a peaceful protest in the capital city, Abuja, in Nigeria by a couple of hundred Shiite Muslim protesters who were protesting the suppression of religion in Nigeria. 
Amnesty International said at least 45 members of the Islamic movement in Nigeria, the IMJ, were killed while holding what the human rights group described as peaceful demonstrations. So this group comes out into the streets of the capital city to hold a demonstration of you know, signs and, and stuff like that. The army comes up and opens fire on them and kills 45 people. This morning, actually in the middle of the night while you were asleep, the Nigerian army tweeted a clip of Donald Trump yesterday saying, quote, we're not going to put up with that. If they want to throw rocks at our military, our military fights back. We're going to consider, and I told them, consider it a rifle. Brigadier General John Agim, the spokesperson for Nigeria's equivalent to the Pentagon, confirmed that the army had posted the video of Trump in response to criticism that it had acted unlawfully by murdering 45 citizens of their country. Trump doesn't have any idea the impact of his words. He's running an ad right now that shows Luis Bracamontes, who is now on death row in San Quentin for killing a cop here in the United States. He killed two California police officers using an AR-15, which the Republicans want to keep legal in the United States. He had been deported by Bill Clinton. He was deported during the Clinton administration. He came back into the United States during the George W. Bush administration. During that administration, he was arrested by Joe Arpaio, who released him into the United States. He was a year later arrested again, and this time he was deported. And again, during the Bush administration, returned to the United States, and then 13 years later killed this deputy. So who let this guy into the country? George Bush, George Bush, and who let him stay in the country and, in fact, released him from jail? Joe Arpaio. But what does the ad say that Donald Trump is running, this Willie Horton ad? It says, Democrats let him into the country. Democrats kept him in the country. It's a full-out, flat-out lie. And then when Trump says, oh, and by the way, if somebody's going to throw rocks at our soldiers, we're going to shoot back? This is brilliant. Joe Kasabian, he's a veteran. Just, you know, a guy on Twitter, a vet. And Andrea Mitchell tweets, Donald Trump has told the military to respond to any rock throwing by members of the migrant caravan as if it was an armed attack. And uh, Joe tweets a reply to her saying, we had rocks thrown at us all the time in Afghanistan, responding with lethal force is an effing war crime. He's apparently uh, written a book, by the way. He said, since this stuff is blown up, maybe buy my book. It has won some awards and stuff. Joe K-A-S-S-A-B-I-A-N. I follow him on Twitter. You can... Uh, and I retweeted his tweet, so if you just check out our Twitter line, you, you know, very easy to find. Greg Palace is with us, our old buddy. At gregpalace.com is the website. You can tweet him at greg underscore palace. And he has been doing just amazing work suing Republican secretaries of state who have been suppressing the vote. Greg Palace, great to have you with us. Glad to be right here. It's like the spaceship Enterprise here at this studio. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually a funky little office, you know, in a, in a funky little Says office. Says you. Building. Well, you know, <laughs> okay. it's the, 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 the magical illusion of television. Speaking of magical illusion, uh, we have this magical illusion of a democracy where everybody can vote and participate. It's scaring me. You know, I did an investigation, as you know. I sued Brian Kemp, who's running against Stacey Abrams in Georgia. I sued him in federal court. I got the names of all the half million people he purged because they supposedly left Georgia or moved out of their congressional district. I mean, you would, and this is in one year. So half million people. 
that's like the roads would be filled with moving vans, right? So I had address experts, people who know where you are. Like, if you don't pay your bill, they'll find you. They can tell you where every American is on Thursday. And they said 340,134 Georgians never moved at all. They're right where they registered. And they didn't they have, they have no notice that on Tuesday, if they walk in, they're getting no notices where to go. But if they do go, they won't be on the voter rolls. They can ask for a provisional ballot and... Last night here in Portland, I was talking to teams of lawyers about possibly suing to if we have to if the election has to be overturned by getting those ballots counted. You're talking massive number, massive number of provisional ballots, which we expect. And 100,000 people will probably just walk in and just walk away because their names won't be there or they'll say, I don't even know where to go to vote. That's what's happening in Georgia. And it is overwhelmingly an attack on voters of color. So after this program, I'm heading to the airport and going to Georgia to talk. I'll be meeting with some of those voters who lost their votes, veterans, um, you know, basically, but African-Americans, of course. Mm. And then on Sunday, um, I will be going to the Trump Kemp rally. So pray for me. Yeah. Yeah. The Trump Kemp rally in Georgia? In Macon, Georgia. I'll be there. I have hired a bodyguard. That. That, I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea. I mean, you, you want to have... It's a bad idea, but it's well, my job. I, I, guess the thing, I guess the thing would be to have a bodyguard who is not dressed provocatively. Right? Yeah, so like in, not, in black skin. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was thinking about like wearing camo or carrying a gun or something. I mean, you know, yeah, you, well, you can't... I mean, interestingly, a Trump rally is the only place where you cannot carry a gun because it's a presidential event. No one can have a weapon. So Trump's rallies, so Trump's rallies weapons. are gun-free zones. Yeah, that's their gun-free zones. Of them. And, and Mike <laughs> Pence as well. Uh, remarkable. You saw that Oprah's been down there campaigning. Yes, for Oprah's Stacey. been down there. She told the story of this fellow who wanted to vote. He was on foot and it took him like 18 hours, 16, some walking from precinct to precinct where he was said, no, no, you don't vote here, you go there. And finally, uh, the last place where he was supposed to be, where they said he was supposed to be, they said, sorry, the line has closed, it's too late. And he died the next year, he, had, he died never having voted. He tried as hard as he could. Well, I mean, when we talk about veterans, some of them almost died trying to vote and here they get removed, I mean, um, it is an American tragedy, but it's not just Georgia. Yeah. I wish it were. We had Chris Kobach in Kansas playing games with yeah. the you know, shuffleboard with the polling stations in Kansas, yeah. Nevada, Illinois, Indiana. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more.
Greg, thank you for showing up. It's great having you. You're heading down to Georgia. You're going to be at a Trump rally. Oh, my God. <laughs> Macon. Well, at first, I'm meeting with, with the voters who have been purged from the voter rolls by Brian Kemp. I hired a, a special investigators who are specialists in finding people who have moved. And uh, according to Brian Kemp, half a million Georgians moved in a single year, half a million voters, purged them from the voter rolls. I hired a company, Cohere One, and they put together a team. They said absolutely 100 percent they'll go to court and say 340,134 of those Georgians never moved from their registration addresses. They can't vote on Tuesday. Wow. And so I'm that's, going that's then. That's way over the margin of error. Uh, and and so, and not only that, but we're talking. I'm then I'm going to uh, see Mr. Kemp and Mr. Trump at a rally in Macon, Georgia, on Sunday. I've got bringing my bodyguard. Yeah. Good luck with that, Craig. And uh, assuming you're bringing a film crew and you'll have some <laughs> clips for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I've hired. I've added in the biggest, most, the largest film. <laughs> film crew in size and physical size no one under six feet oh, oh so that so that they don't get <laughs> the cameras be, knocked out of just, their hands just just to assume that that just to uh, you know because we know it's going to be a friendly crowd but Trump, you know Trump just encourages to, violence i mean that he yeah, you know he's offered to pay the legal fees of people who beat up people who come uh, to, and especially reporter people yeah um and so this I, is, I won't be wearing this hat i guarantee yeah. You know, I do a book review every day that we that we play during the six minutes at the top and bottom of the hour when our commercial stations go to n local news yes. and national news and stuff. Our uh, nonprofit stations play the book report, yes. and so I just read from the book of the hour. We do six of them. I a day. listen to it. And uh, <laughs> thank you. And the one I did this morning was uh, it just just arrived. I did a copy for the studio. It's uh, the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William Scherer. Yeah. And I read the first read? three pages of the chapter that starts with 1933. But he took complete power and just a matter of weeks, you know, and, and you're the telling Reichstag me just fire. before I go to a Trump rally, right? Well, <laughs> so that, that was a lot. The, the, the thing that's so scary about the rise of Hitler is the SA. These was a volunteer corps. These were young men, uh, many of them unemployed, many of them what you would call hooligans back in the day who loved beating people up. And Hitler activated them. And then in 33, when the election happened and he was trying to suppress the communist and the, uh, the unionist party, he took 50,000 of these SA members and deputized them, made them police. And here's a badge, you can legally carry a gun, good luck. They unleashed a wave of terror across Germany. That was just the very beginning. I mean, this, this is still like six years before Kristallnacht. Well, I have to say that until Five this years. past week, I thought it was way overblown to talk about the rise of the Third Reich and Donald Trump. Like, yeah. let's get, he's just, a, he's a reality show comic. He's not even a billionaire. He just plays one on TV. So right. I didn't take this guy seriously enough. But in the last week, with the murders at the synagogue, with the bombs, and with his sending troops to the border and whipping up his guys and saying, by the way, the caravan is coming in to vote for Democrats. That was his statement yesterday. Right. That's the new one. Yeah. Okay, that he's creating a hysteria factor that even he may not be able to control. And I'm very concerned about this. And I have to say that my partner, uh, my chief investigatrix, uh, Lenny Badpenny, who listens to um, Hitler's speeches in German, says, you can't imagine How the similarities. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then we find out that this bad guy, the guy who's featured in Trump's commercial that he tweeted out yesterday, the new uh, Trump commercial that this guy new, is a cop killer. The, yeah, the new uh, uh, Horton uh, ad. Yeah, Willie the, Horton the, ad. Yeah, the, this generation's version of Willie Horton. Well, we don't know when he came to the United States, but Bill Clinton deported him. Right, he was deported during the Clinton administration. He used an AR-15 assault rifle to kill the two, two California cops. He's on death row right now in San Quentin. And then during the 
Bush administration, he was arrested by Joe Arpaio, who released him from custody and let him live in the United States. And then he got arrested again about a year later in 2001 on a drug charge and got deported. And then he came back in the next year during the Bush administration and lived here for 13 years and killed these two cops in Sacramento. So he was literally came into this country, was deported by a Democratic president, Clinton, came back in under a Republican president, George Bush, was arrested by Joe Arpaio, who released him. He got busted and thrown out of the country, came back in under Bush. And 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 this guy in the White House, Trump, is running an ad saying Democrats let him into the country. Democrats kept him in the country. I mean, it's it's a lie at every level. I mean, at least Willie Horton was actually released from jail under a program that was being administered. Well, actually, it was only being administered by, by Michael Dukakis. It was a program that had been started by his Republican predecessor as governor. Um, so, you know, there was a lie to the Willie Horton ads, too. But, I mean, Well, hysteria and, you know, you have a combination of hatred, hypocrisy, and hysteria. Yeah. This is gasoline. And his idea is to light matches and see what happens. Well, now he's pouring gasoline on the fire that's already burning. It's... It's really serious stuff because they figured the only way that you can win in Georgia, for example, and, and in some of these other swing states and in Kansas is is basically race. It's racism. You know, well, racism. The, the, the reality it's, it's is, a kind of, you uh, know, the last president of the United States who was elected with a majority of the white vote, the last Democratic president? Carter? <laughs> no. No. No, Carter did not get a majority of the white vote. It was Lyndon Johnson in 64. Wow. And then in 65... You're always trying to show that you're smarter than me. I can't, I can't, what's the use? That is not my goal. In 65, he signed the, the Voting Rights Act, and no Democrat since then has got a majority of the white vote. That's how deep racism is in this country. Tom Hartman here with you. Greg Pallast in the studio with us. Ian in Seattle. Hey, Ian, you're on the air with Greg Pallast. Hi there. Hey, Ian. Fourteen and a half million people have been struck off the voting rolls the last 12 months, right? Yes. That's from the Brennan Center. That's correct. Okay. That seems to me that we have a rigged election. Yeah, that's about 10% of the number yeah. of people who, no, who voted you know, in the last election. I will say a lot of yeah. people, uh, Thank you, in, in all fairness, uh, a lot of people died. Um, you know, when I was looking at Kemp's list of people who moved, yeah, they they, they moved with prejudice. Nineteen thousand had died, but you know, I've got the exact records. He's they're just playing games, so they're just they're running that eraser over any name that sounds African American. Kim Hernandez, Johnson, you get the idea. But so a lot, you know, millions of those names are correctly uh, removed for death or moving state to state. But we're finding we're finding literally hundreds of thousands per state. It's adding up to millions, absolutely, who are absolutely wrongly purged from the voter rolls. And they're not getting, they're not getting in any notice in the mail. There's no discussion over the air. And they won't get notices where you go to vote. So they might say the hell with it. And then they're going to lose their vote because they didn't vote. You know, they're playing a wonderful game here. And then they go in and they get a provisional ballot. And, and I'm talking to lawyers about how we get those ballots counted. But I can tell you right now, Brian Kemp says, I ain't counting those ballots. Yeah. It's amazing. Bill in Columbus, Ohio, you're on with Greg Pallast. Hey, I am so happy to be able to talk to you. My name's Bill, and uh, Bill. yeah, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, actually in the 12th district, where uh, O'Connor and Balderson are running. And I just 
last week voted early, and I actually went up to the poll worker when I was, they handed me the, the slip that said provisional ballot. I said, I don't want to have a provisional ballot. These aren't going to be counted. And they said, oh, no, no, that's not what that means. So I guess I've kind of been duped, and I kept telling myself I was going to vote on the day of election because of this exact reason. Is it really So in Ohio, they're using provisional ballots for early voting? Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, they look, handed I, me a slip, and on it it said provisional ballot. No, it said, I'm sorry, it said absentee ballot. Absentee, yes. That's what, okay. Please, thanks, get thanks. a hold of me at gregpalace.com, where it says contact Greg. We have an attorney on the ground right there in Columbus, law professor Bob Fatrakis. We are suing Secretary of State Houston. This is one of my complaints. You're not absent. You showed up to vote. Why are you given an absentee ballot? The, the object of this is to see if you make a mistake on the outside. If you had a driver's license, did you put your driver's license number or a social number? Where it said to you got to you got to fill out this. It looks like an SAT test, Tom. It, you know, it's it's crazy. So you got to fill out this whole thing. So it's a gotcha system where if you made one little mistake on the signature or anything on that absentee ballot form, they can throw away your ballot. Whereas if you go in on election day, on white voting day, frankly, is what it is in Ohio, they put you on a machine. You put in your vote. They can't take it away because it's already in the machine. This is a trick to take away your vote. And on the other hand, I do tell people to vote early. So you just have to be so careful when you fill out that form and sign it exactly the way you signed it when you registered. I hope you didn't if change If you can signature. remember, yeah. You know, I signed, I made sure, I made it a point to look exactly at my driver's license because they have you fill it out based on your driver's license and your driver's license number, making right. sure whether or not I had a, my name is William H. And then... Um, I made sure to see whether or not I had a dot after the H yes. and um, you know, the whole the whole thing. Wow. But uh, this actually, where I vote, it's just down the road, and it is a, in a predominantly, this is a you know, national election headquarters for Ohio where I vote, but it actually is in a predominantly immigrant and race of color area. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's who I'm voting with. So, surprise, yeah. How surprise. long was your wait? My wait was a minute. Oh, good. I right in. Yeah, put that's me good. Right there. Boom. It would be interesting to hear from somebody in Ohio who lives in a Republican white suburb who early voted and see if they were given an absentee ballot. Bill, thanks for that call. Bill, that's important. Kelly, Kelly in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. You're on the air with Greg Palast. Quick question. Thank you, Tom. Real quick question. Last time I called in, Tom, I told you that I became a PC. I'm now the county chair from Mojave County. My question to Greg is this. Do you know of anything in Mojave County as far as voting problems? Yes, we got a list of purged voters from the Secretary of State by threatening a federal lawsuit. And look out for voters who are going to show up and find their names purged by the state. Now, Mojave had to also get itself involved in the purge, but usually the county people have no idea why they're being given these lists by the Secretary of State, so they just erase people. But get a hold of me. Contact uh, Greg at gregpalace.com. I want to talk to you about Nevada. Yeah, amazing. Greg, you're doing God's work. Thanks so much for being with us today. And gregpalace.com, the website? gregpalace.com. And you can see if you've been purged. There you go. And it's just amazing. Greg, thank you so much. Thanks for being with us.
I've never endorsed a weight loss product, but that was before my brilliant wife, Louise, had such a great experience with Ridgizone. So good that she shared it with my producer, Sean. Sean, in your own words, talk about what you love most about Ridgizone. I've been frustrated for years, struggling with yo-yo dieting. I was really excited when I saw the results Louise had with Ridgizone. She looks amazing. I also like the fact that Ridgizone is based on university research that found a molecule that eases appetite and cravings so you eat less. Plus, Ridgizone is an FDA-accepted product designed to boost levels of that molecule along with your metabolism so you stop craving the wrong foods and burn calories faster. I'm excited to get my appetite and cravings under control so I can lose weight before the holidays. Stay tuned. Amen. Thanks, Sean. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Ridgizone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off plus free shipping. Go to tryriduzone.com. That's tryriduzone.com. Tryriduzone.com. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is Christopher Massacott, the chair of the Victory Fund Campaign Board and a partner at DS Political. VictoryFund.org is the website, the Twitter handle, DS Political. Christopher, it's not a blue wave. How about a rainbow wave? Tell us about this. Yeah, so we've identified, the Victory Fund has identified almost 400 LGBTQ candidates that are running for office this year. That is obviously a record number. We've smashed our previous record. You know, most of them are Democrats running not just because, you know, they're LGBTQ, but they're running as a result of Donald Trump being elected and wanting to help fight his policies. We've had about 100 and something anti-LGBT bills introduced into various state legislatures, 12 of them in the last year have become law, and it's really important to have a seat at that table. So we have so many more LGBTQ candidates running, not only for state legislative offices, but giant, you know, big offices, statewide offices like Governor of Vermont, Colorado, Oregon, Texas. And we're really going to see a huge number increase in the number of LGBT elected officials where we're at somewhere around 550 now. Are these virtually all Democrats? They're virtually all Democrats. Victory Fund is a nonpartisan organization. We do support Republicans where we can, but as you know, it's really hard being a Republican, a, a, an LGBTQ Republican yeah. uh, in today's uh, political climate. The decision, I, I always mangle the name, Obergefeld? Obergefell, yeah. Obergefell, thank you. It was the decision where the Supreme Court essentially legalized gay marriage uh, nationwide, and uh, Justice Kennedy was the swing vote on that. Kennedy is being replaced, in all probability, with Kavanaugh, if not by Kavanaugh, then with another right-wing crank from the Federalist Society. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think pretty much no matter who Trump puts in there, it will be somebody who's hostile to those rights that Kennedy was always respectful of. I mean, you know, Kennedy was a, a reliable right-wing vote when it came to, you know, destroying unions or supporting, uh, you know, big corporations or polluters. But, but he, did, he did support gay rights or LGBTQ rights. What kind of damage could Kavanaugh and the Supreme Court do to this? Do you expect that this is a case that might get relitigated? I do. And I think it's really important that we elect LGBTQ candidates to the table. We have some great candidates that are running for the Senate. Kirsten Sinema in Arizona is poised to uh, take Jeff Flake's seat. Tammy Baldwin is running for re-election. She's running a very strong re-election campaign. 
And I'm worried about these decisions because we just saw with the cake bakers, you know, that that decision was uh, came down with the, the current court that we had. Think about all of the other cases that are winding their way through the courts today that they're going to end up in a court that includes Brett Kavanaugh. And those decisions that have been already done, like Justice Kennedy, not only was he the swing vote, but he also wrote the opinion. We lost the, you know somebody who was very good on those particular issues. So I'm very worried about a Kavanaugh justice or, you know, anybody else that Trump will nominate. Yeah. How can people support what you're doing? We're talking with Christopher Massacott. He is the chair of the Victory Fund campaign board, a partner at DS Political. VictoryFund.org is the website. I'm assuming go to Victory Fund and pitch in. VictoryFund.org, we have a list of all of our candidates. We're supporting them at various levels. We have a, a group of spotlight candidates that are really the ones that we're really focusing on that are going to be a historic first or they're going to be really important because they're running for the state legislature in what so-called lower equality states or that they, you know, they're going to make a historic first. Victory Fund is, you know, we hear about like, oh, I was the first, you know, LGBTQ person elected to Congress from Florida or the first, you know, African-American elected to a state legislature who's LGBTQ. And Victory Fund is in the business of making historic first history. And we really need people to support candidates through money. And if you live in that district, talk to your friends about these candidates and talk to them about the upcoming election. Make sure every last person that you know votes. I'm from Massachusetts, and I happened to be in Massachusetts during the primary there, and I was talking to every single one of my friends that I knew that could vote for an LGBTQ candidate because that's how people decide how they're going to vote, whether or not their you know, political ads do make a big impact, but it's also word of mouth. So uh, donating money to the candidates that you care about, to areas that you care about where people are from, and know that we have candidates running all over the country. It's not just in New York or Massachusetts or California. We have an amazing candidate in the Kansas 2nd Congressional District, Cerise Davids, who's going to be the first Native American LGBTQ person elected to Congress. And, you know, she's really poised to win that race against Kevin Yoder. I've noticed that some candidates seem to be putting front and center the fact that they're LGBTQ. And others, the trans woman who's running for governor of Vermont, pretty much will acknowledge it, but say, you know, really, let's talk about the potholes. Let's talk about the health care in Vermont. Let's talk about the security of the citizens. Is that decision to front and center that part of a person's life or put it into the background, is that a largely regional decision or has the acceptance of LGBTQ people broadly reached a threshold in the United States where in most places anyway, it's not that big a deal? I think you're right in that we have reached a level of acceptance that um, it's not a big of a, that big of a deal, but it is still a huge part of, of, of who you are. People. Not only do they vote for the person and how they um, that person is going to to represent them, but they also vote for them. Like, what are you going to do for me? And I, you you were talking about Christine Hulquist, who's running for uh, governor of Vermont. She was the CEO of the, the the statewide power utility company there. She brought that company back from the brink of disaster, doing it through you know renewable energy and environmental friendly practices. Um, and she's running on. Um, a platform of bringing, you know, broadband internet to, you know, parts of rural Vermont that just doesn't have that. 
And when you have a state where there's, you know, a lot of, you know, lower income people having access to broadband internet, having the ability um, to have, uh, you know, information being able to flow in and out of, of, a, of a rural state like that is so important. And she's just really running on, you know, building up the infrastructure. And she has a proven record that she can do that. Yeah, especially when it can be done as a public utility like Chattanooga did. Christopher, thanks so much for being with us today. Well, thank you, Tom. Great talking with you. Christopher Massacott, the chair of the Victory Fund Campaign Board. Victoryfund.org is the website. Check it out and, and see how you can help out. There's a long way to go and a lot of work to do here for full and equal rights for all Americans. Today, we're reading about Thunderdome politics, an uncivil war taking back our democracy in an age of Trumpian disinformation and Thunderdome politics by Greg Sargent, the Washington Post columnist. This is from uh, his chapter on voter suppression. It's page 37. Republicans and Democrats inhabit different political realities, as mentioned in a previous chapter. But there are certain facts about our politics that are just objectively true. One of them is this. Generally speaking, efforts to make it harder to vote are almost always pushed by Republicans. You cannot understand what is happening in American politics right now without recognizing this stark and very fundamental difference between the two major political parties. During this decade, procedural hurdles were put into place in around 20 states that in some manner or other have made it harder to vote or to register to vote or have undone previous efforts to make voting or registering easier or have otherwise threatened serious disenfranchisement. Most of them were the creation of Republican lawmakers and officials. The difference in the two parties' national platforms for 2016 tells the story. The GOP platform champions additional hurdles that are absurdly disproportionate to the phantom abuse it alleges, while the Democratic platform champions multiple specific ways to make it easier to vote, not harder. The most common and controversial of methods used by Republicans to suppress Democratic turnout is the requirement that would-be voters present identification at the polls. The game here tends to turn on requiring forms of ID that some groups are less likely to have, making participation harder for them. Other restrictions include techniques like cutting back on early voting and making it harder to register, both of which have, in recent years, been instituted in multiple states. Republicans who have passed laws making it harder to vote have tended to claim such measures are necessary to protect against, quote, voter fraud. We'll look at this in more detail below, but for now, notes that Note that most of the states that have passed such measures did so while under Republican control. As New York University political scientist Samuel Isikoff has memorably put it, the single predictor necessary to determine whether a state will impose voter access restrictions is whether Republicans control the ballot access process. Scholars trace the modern era of warfare over election rules to the intensely contested presidential election of 2000 in which a divided Supreme Court halted the recount in Florida, throwing the presidency to George W. Bush. The closeness and partisan acrimony of that contest, combined with the intense national focus on election rules that accompanied the court battle over it, helped persuade both parties to invest much more attention and energy on those rules. As a result, both the implementation of measures restricting the ballot and the legal battles over them have intensified in recent years. A brief glance at the surprising history of voter ID laws begins to tell the story of this tightening. In the 1970s, several states implemented voter ID measures, but all of them provided for ways that voters without the proper ID could cast a ballot. By 2000, there were 14 such laws, and they had been implemented by politicians in both parties. 
But by the mid-2000s, amid rising post-2000 acrimony, a handful of red states began implementing voter ID laws that the nonpartisan National Conference of State Legislatures described as, quote, strict, meaning that they make it easy to disqualify those who don't pass muster. Indeed, social media has been absolutely saturated in recent years with variations of the lament that Republican political dominance is largely maintained through a combination of nefarious and undemocratic tactics, such as ballot restrictions that keep constituencies unfriendly to the GOP from voting, and extreme gerrymanders that have, in effect, built a fortress around the GOP's majority in the House of Representatives. Democrats frequently invoke the, the GOP's use of these tactics, often justifiably, to raise money and to galvanize turnout. This narrative contains some important truths. Some of the forms that these restrictions on voting access have taken in recent years are diabolically obvious in their uh, efforts to keep constituencies supportive of Democrats from voting. Still others boast the distinction of being more insidiously designed and thus less obvious in their intentions. The book is An Uncivil War by Greg Sargent of the Washington Post. Imagine the panic that swept over this dad. He was working late when he got an alert on his smartphone. His Blink motion-activated security camera picked up something. He opens the Blink app and views a video clip of a man peering through his kitchen window. He calls 911 and alerts his wife. Preventing situations like this is what Blink is all about. The point of having a home security system is to help alert you before some creep breaks into your home, not after. Blink motion-activated HD cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on batteries that last up to two years. And Blink's live feed option lets you monitor what's happening at home anytime, anywhere from your smartphone. No contracts, no subscriptions, and Blink even works with Alexa. Here's the deal. Get your Blink camera system starting at less than $100. No contracts or subscriptions. Visit BlinkProtect.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, for details. BlinkProtect.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. BlinkProtect.com slash Tom. Blink is an Amazon company. John Harvin here with you. I was uh, browsing through the news the other day and I encountered an article by Pete Tucker on Counterpunch that just blew my mind. And, well, the headline, Partisan Pollsters Fail Black Progressive Candidates. I said to Sean, I want to talk to this guy. I want to learn. You know, I want to share this with all of you. Pete Tucker's on the line with us. He's, he is the D.C.-based journalist with Counterpunch, who is the author of this, his uh, website, Pete-Tucker.com. And uh, you can tweet him at Pete Tucker, uh, Pete, uh, just spelled like it sounds. Pete, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Well, we've seen in this Trump era that polls are not just failing, but they're failing black progressive candidates. Um, and it's not just that they're failing randomly. They're specifically failing by, by undercounting their support in pretty dramatic ways. For, For example, Ayanna Presley, uh, a progressive city councilwoman in Boston, she challenged an incumbent uh, congressman in Democratic primary. She was predicted to lose by 13 points. She won by 18, a 31-point swing. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York. She also challenged an incumbent congressman. Uh, she was predicted to lose by 36 points. She won by 15, a 51-point swing. Stacey Abrams, and then there's, then there's three candidates for governor, um, three black candidates for governor. Uh, this country, by the way, has elected two black governors in its history, and we have three Democratic nominees for governor. In Georgia, uh, Stacey Abrams, uh, the last polls had her winning by 20, but she won by over 50. Uh, maybe the most shocking one um, was Andrew Gillum in Florida. 
Uh, there were nine polls taken in the lead up to the Democratic primary. Eight of those polls had Gillum. He's a progressive African-American mayor of Tallahassee. Uh, eight of those polls had him coming in fourth. Uh, one of those polls had him coming in tied at third. Uh, Florida is the third largest state in the country. Uh, Gillum didn't finish fourth, didn't finish third. He won the nomination. Uh, those the yeah, highest poll. You walked away with it. You walked away with it. The highest poll had him at sixteen percent. Uh, most polls at twelve percent, and he finished at thirty-four percent. Yeah. Yeah. So why is this? The kind of common sense, simple explanation seems to be that minority communities have historically not been as engaged in the voting process as have white suburban communities, for example. And uh, now they're starting to get more engaged in that process or they're not just starting. I mean, you know, through the Obama presidency, and whatnot, um, getting far more engaged, but they're not being polled. Or is it that we're I mean, is it that or is it that the, the, the polling is skewed toward basically white Democrats, white Republicans? I mean, what's going on? Why is this? Well, I, I think what's, what happens is that, and I've been learning this as I go along, because it, 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 something's going on here. Yeah, and, and I don't see be, any good, clean research on this stuff. This is the kind of stuff that you would think Pew or Harvard would be all over. It would be helpful. Um, so... A lot of with polling, there's different types, but it, it seems to be that all of it, most of it, is based on a, a fundamental guess, which is who's going to be a likely voter. And one of the strongest uh, indicators is what happened last election. And you're going to look at the, the last, um, you know, uh, uh, non-presidential election. So go back to 2014. Right. Well, in 2014, you had historic lows. Uh, in over 50 years, it was the lowest turnout since something like World War II. And so if you're going to use that as a base, a pre-Trump election, and then 2016, of course, President Trump is elected. And with all his venom towards women, towards minorities, to, to pretend that somehow that's a solid base, a, a pre-Trump election with the post-Trump, is a little bit, I, I kind of see it a little bit like Rip Van Winkle in the sense that the pollsters took a 2014 election and then went up in the mountains and went to sleep like Rip Van Winkle and came on down not knowing that a revolution had taken place. Hmm. And I think there's a lot more energy than the polls are picking up among young voters, among non-white voters. And so that's my guess as to what's happening. Hmm. But it is interesting, Tom, that it's, these polls aren't just failing. It's not random. They are consistently undercounting the vote, the support for progressive candidates of color. And this turns out to be far more problematic than it's just it's not just a mistake because there are real consequences. Right. To this. But they're not undercounting or missing progressive candidates who are white. Is that correct? Well, I, I have to look more carefully at that. <laughs> I, I, it's not it certainly hasn't been as uh, stark gross a, yeah. mis a mistake, a stark, a stark uh, uh, disparity. Yeah, very interesting. Well, um, Pete, as, as you continue yep. your research into this, would you would you keep us up to date? Yeah, and if I can make one more point, Tom. Please do so. Uh, um, this is problematic in and of itself, but it has the danger of becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because when you tell voters um, that your candidate who you support has no shot at winning, then as, by the way, the pollsters were speaking about Andrew Gillum in Florida, for example. Right. And right now in Maryland, uh, yep. Ben Jealous, who 
the former leader of the NAACP. He was predicted to be neck and neck in the primary. Uh, he's the third black gubernatorial candidate. Um, and he won a landslide primary victory that none of the pollsters predicted. Right. And now the polls have him way down to the Republican um, and uh, Larry Hogan in a state, Maryland, that is two to one Democratic. Um, and when you put out into the media this powerful message that the candidate has no shot, it's not just voters. You know, voters are busy come Election Day. Uh, people have a lot of things to do. And if you tell people your candidate has no shot, they're more likely to stay home. And also donors. Yeah. Nobody wants to back a sure loser. Yeah. And so this is very dangerous. And this is why the Associated Press, in updating its AP style book earlier this year, it said, it said because polls are so often intoxicating for journalists, uh, that, that we are, the AP is updating its style book to, uh, with this word of caution, journalists. Poll results that seek to preview the outcome of an election must never be the lead headline or single subject of any story. Hmm. And yet, time and again, this is what we're seeing. Well, particularly on television. I mean, television television news is the worst of this because they're always, oh, breaking news. Here's the headline. You know, and it's all horse race stuff. They don't even talk about issues. They just talk about horse race and personality. And this not talking about issues is really significant because you could poll on any number of things, mm. but to keep polling on just how much you like the candidate, but not on the issues. It's, it's, it's not that they don't poll on the issues. It's much more uh, seldom and it's not as prominently reported. Now, if you had an election here in Maryland on the issues, uh, for example, uh, $15 an hour minimum wage, 71% of Marylanders support that. And you go on down the list, and that's a central plank to Jealous's campaign. Right. But that's not what's discussed. It's discussed how popular Hogan is. And um, in my reporting, I've looked at the Washington Post, which is liked by many on the left, and because of its aggressive reporting on President Trump, and I'm all for that. But the Post, if you take away, if you take Trump out of the picture, uh, a nice thought, what exactly is it that the post is against it's it is anti-labor and organization as they come it's for every war and it really exists to defeat candidates uh that are progressive that are pushing medicare for all and a 15 dollars an hour minimum wage um and, and i think you could say that of virtually all the major media i think yeah i haven't studied well i think you could say certainly that network you're television right. you're right um, but the Post has been particularly pernicious um, in how it has given just the most favorable coverage to Hogan, saying he's bipartisan, he's moderate. You know, this is someone who was backed by the Koch brothers, who was with an organization, the Maryland Public Policy Institute, before coming to office that, ho- that had Koch donor support. Um, Another little detail that almost never makes it into the press. You know, no. the, the Koch brothers are dropping $300 million in this election. Shelley Adelson's, you know, got 10, 20, 30 million. I, I forget the number. And, you know, they talk about, oh, gee, it looks like this race is tightening up. I wonder why. And nobody says, well, maybe it's tightening up because they just dropped $10 million into that state, you know, to, with slash and, slash and burn attack ads that in many cases are, are just plain old flat out lies. Yeah. And then the poll will say, well, how do you feel about this, that or the other rather than 
right. reporting on what people actually want as, as far as where we go into the future. Um, so I think this is I think this is dangerous stuff. I think uh, I think the pollsters are a little arrogant too. I don't think they they are really up to seeing what's coming. And I think the media has a much greater responsibility to. Well, and I'm appreciative of the opportunity, Tom, to talk with you. I think you do a great job of bringing forward some of the issues that, that, that need to be discussed rather than just polling people on who likes who. What, what are the issues that are at stake here? Right. Well, that's, you know, I think that that's at the core, at the, the essential core of everything. It has to be the issues. And that's where our media does so poorly because it's all reality. You know, the reality TV model is what's been embraced by news. They sit around with a couple of pundits talking about something and everybody's opinionating, but they're not talking about the issues. They're talking about, yeah. you know, who likes who and who's up and who's down and what do you think? And, and it's just, you know, it drives me crazy watching talking heads on TV who are not even experts, right, in particular areas. I can understand having an expert on to explain something to somebody. You know, I want Neil deGrasse Tyson to be explaining astrophysics. But anyhow, Pete Tucker, thank you, Pete. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. Pete's website is Pete-Tucker.com. His uh, article's over at Counterpunch, and you can tweet him at Pete Tucker. Thank you, Pete. Thank you so much, Tom. Good talking with you. <laughs> Jessica in Mayville, Wisconsin. Thanks for listening to us on 1510 AM. What's up? Yeah, I am calling just to um, make everybody aware. I kind of stumbled on an app that's called Vote With Me, mm-hmm. and it basically goes through your contacts and auto-generates um, a message to send to your contacts that are registered voters. And I thought it was a great tool. It's something easy to do over the weekend just to get people out to vote. You know, it's 20 times more likely if it's a personal interaction. So I just wanted to make your listeners aware. I, I think that's wonderful. Jessica, I, I don't want to be a downer here, but just a, a question. Did you check the terms of service on that to make sure that you're not surrendering your contact list to whatever company developed that app? Do I have to answer this honestly? Yeah. Well, most, I, I mean, most people don't, so I'm guessing the answer yeah. is that you didn't. I, no. Please go back and check the terms of service. And if it says that you have given them your contact list, you know, they will, of course, start marketing that and selling it and making money off it. Um, on the other hand, if it says that they're not taking your contact list, please call us back and tell us about it on Monday. And, you know, Absolutely. I'll, put, I'll, I'll yeah, promote I will. it. Okay. Okay, cool. Th- thanks. thanks a lot, Jessica. Good to hear from you. Uh, you just, these days, you know, it's like there's a, a group trying, uh, saying that they want to stop Citizens United, you know, and it turns out that they, you know, a lot of the money that they're taking in apparently is just, you know, going to their own salaries. I mean, you got to be careful. On the other hand, there's some great organizations out there. And, you know, if something comes from like the Brennan Center, they're not going to rip you off. It's going to be straight up. Steve in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Steve, what's up? Yes, metaphorically, Tom, uh, to uh, the uh, saying about bringing the machine gun to the uh, uh, gunfight. Uh, forget the machine gun. Just bring an Abrams tank. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the one, one quick comment here. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, Beto Arark, he's, he's, uh, he's a rising star along with Gavin Newsom, who I've plugged here yeah. before to you. Uh, Beto, both these guys, I think Beto, he has the it factor, you know. Yeah. And that's very, very. Yeah, he's very he's he's he he could be this generation's JFK. I mean, we'll see. Uh, yeah. But there's a there's a bunch of people who could be this generation's JFK. I've been so impressed by some of the millennials that I'm seeing engaged in politics right now. It just blows my mind. Oh, yeah. Some yeah, really just, good people. Uh, they get it. Just they absolutely get it. For about thirty seconds, I could tell right away he was on. Yeah. But uh, yeah. my question is, 
uh, the USA Today, uh, which owns the Arizona Republic and a number of publications, newspapers. This is Gannett is actually the company, yes. Yes. Um, they, they, they published uh, Trump's op-ed, which was full of lies two to three weeks ago. Correct. And to the best of my knowledge, they didn't uh, post a retraction to it. And what we've done, we've canceled our uh, Arizona Republic subscription. Do you know anything if they've uh, published a retraction? I thought that two or three days later they published a... Uh they published somebody else's op-ed who said, basically, here's where Trump was wrong. Or maybe maybe it was they themselves said, you know, fact-checked it. Um, but it took an enormous amount of pressure to get them to do that. I mean, you know, the, a lot of these big media companies are very conservative organizations. And they want and everybody wants to be in bed with Trump. It was it's just like in the early 30s in Germany. All the big industrialists, all the big media, they all wanted to get in bed with Hitler. He was the rising star. And, yeah. uh, you know, we know where that ended up. And, and uh, so, so that's exactly. the best. That's, that, that, that's what I know, Steve. Les, Les Moon was, was right. Um, you know, Trump may not be uh, good for America, but he sure was good for CBS yeah. and this stuff. Thanks, yeah, Tom. Exactly right. Thanks a lot, Steve. Uh, Harvey in Northridge, California. Hey, Harvey, what's up? Hi, Tom. How are you? I am great. What's up? Okay. My name is Parvin. Oh, I I'm sorry. They made a mistake. Okay. T-A-R-V-I-N. Anyhow, Hi, um, I'm Persian, and mm -hmm. I listen to your program all the time. Thank, Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. And it's very informative. I learn a lot from you. I want to give you some idea, and I would like to hear your idea about that. Mm -hmm. I was working and fighting for justice and equality most of my life. I was two times political prisoner in my country in different regimes, Shah and Islamic Republic. Hmm. But one thing, and I'm a citizen here, and I have been in the United States more than Iran. And then my question is, this time, Donald Trump, don't you think is product of American system? Look at the media, look at the entertainment beast. Mindless content coming to the TV more and more every year. Yeah. Reality TV. I absolutely agree with you. And you can track this all back to the Reagan administration, to his blowing up the Fairness Doctrine, to his stopping the enforcement of the Sherman Antitrust Act, and then the, during the Clinton administration, the, the 96 Telecommunications Act, but mostly to the Supreme Court in 1976 and 78, saying that money is free speech. We've got to flush this poison out of our, out of our uh, bloodstream, out of our political and economic bloodstream, uh, this, this poison of Reaganomics and, and the, this uh, called conservative ideology. It's really corporatist ideology. Thank you so much for the call and thank you for sharing your story with us. I hope you'll call again when we have a little more time. Get ready. You know, Tuesday's coming and make sure all your friends have voted. It's not enough to just stand around and talk about it. Tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.